welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And today we're talking with CEO of Fryer Battery, Tom Jensen. So Fryer is based in Norway, but also making some some strong moves in the United States right now. Could you just start off with a little introduction in uh, on Fryer Battery and and who you are, Tom? Yeah, of course. Thank you, and and thank you to Clean Technica for inviting us into this. So. My name is Tom Jensen. I'm Norwegian. Don't hold that against me. Um, And I'm calling you today from Norway. I'm an economist by training, unfortunately. And I say that a little bit deliberately because I've been scaling disruptive technology and disruptive business models for the better part of 15 years, broadly speaking, in the sustainability space. So Fryer is a Norwegian battery company. We were founded in 2018, inspired by Nordvolt, the Swedes. And as you know, good Norwegians, we tend to think that if the Swedes can do it, we can do it a little bit better. But more serious note, what Nordvolt really have shown the world is that it is possible to think about large-scale giga-scale manufacturing of batteries in the Nordic region. And we looked ourselves in the mirror and sort of asked, is it feasible to imagine being successful, profitable, cost-competitive in the battery manufacturing space from a Western hemisphere uh, let's call it uh, vantage point at all, uh, and what is it Norway potentially has to offer to sort of offer some comparative advantages. And there were a couple of things that sort of struck us with Norway. So first and all, foremost, we have almost 100% renewable electricity in our power generation, and we have surplus renewable energy at that, and that energy, at least up until recently, have been extremely cost competitive. Now, in the region, we have decided to locate our first gigafactory, which is labeled Giga Arctic, which is actually almost on the Arctic Circle. Uh, We have also secured, I think, one of the most competitive long-term power purchase agreements for large-scale energy-intensive industry that the world has ever seen. At least it's top quartile for sure, maybe even top percentile. And that, of course, is very important when you're starting to build or having an idea to build an energy intensive industry. So fast forward to today, we've secured uh, that part of the equation, low cost renewable energy for something that is energy intensive, important from sort of a sustainability point of view. The second thing, which was probably more important for us is that Norway has more than a century experience in developing energy, energy intensive uh, and process intensive industries, all starting from the same starting point, which is availability of large amounts of hydropower competitively priced. Norway is a country a little bit out of the beaten track, so to speak, but we have a very mountainous country and we have a lot of rainfall. So that means that when you dam up all of these these opportunities, you get a lot of hydropower. So from that came the Norwegian fertilizer industry, from that came the Norwegian aluminium industry, and from that has come a number of large-scale process-intensive industries um, in addition. And then Norway is, again, one of those very fortunate countries that seem to have been blessed by nature or from God or whoever you'd like to believe in. And we also discovered oil and gas back in the 60s, large amounts of it. So we built more than 100 
large-scale oil and gas platforms on the Norwegian continental shelf in probably some of the toughest environments and terrain you can imagine. So what all of this means is that Norway has a century of experience in building and executing and operating very complicated energy and energy intensive facilities in very harsh environments with very strong focus on safety, on quality, on high uptime, high yields, et cetera, with you know, capable, competent operators in anything energy related. Now, that was, of course, a second important point. The third point for Clean Technica's readers was Norway is actually the leading country globally when it comes to adopting electrification. So we started adopting electric vehicles back in 2009 in any material form. And since then, we have really sort of moved up the ladder to close to 80, 90% of all new vehicles sold in Norway are now battery electric in some way, shape or form. And in 2025, all combustion engine vehicles will be prohibited to buy. And that's two years from now, right? So this is happening. And we are electrifying our, our ferries. We are working on solutions to electrify our short-haul domestic aviation routes. We're electrifying everything that we can electrify. And of course, we're building out onshore wind, offshore wind, huge debates in Norway on how fast and where, et cetera. But we also have one of the most or the highest, I should say, wind speeds, uh, given this very coastal long country. So we have huge opportunities to develop more in that. So there is institutionalized knowledge in terms of electrification in Norway. All of those three things sort of told us we can succeed in building a battery business in Norway. But we also decided early on that that is probably not enough. We need something more. We need to have a technology solution that offers step change in performance over time, a technology solution that is already commercially introduced, and a technology solution that is more cost-effective, uses less capital expenditure, uses less energy, uses less people, and can sort of basically be very competitive and be on the left-hand side of the cost curve. So all of that we put together over an 18, 24-month period, and we did you know, the usual friends and fools and family sort of capital raises as a startup company, and we did a large private placement in the Norwegian market back in 2020, which really put us more on the map. And that triggered interest from Wall Street and, you know, at the time, the booming SPAC market. So we were contacted by Alusa SPAC, Energy. SPAC, yeah. SPAC market, these special purpose acquisition companies that sort of a roundabout way to go public for a company to go public without well, going, it's, it's with a fat, IPO. You sort of connect to a company that is public. And it exactly. had, a, had a big boom period for the clean tech sector and then a crash. I mean, a lot of these companies didn't do an IPO because for, for some reason or another and went this roundabout way. So, yeah, but in, in any case, I, I think it, whatever you want to say about the, the trend, I think, you know, some companies got to go public that really deserved to go public and they had an easy, easy route to do it. Some companies probably shouldn't have gone public, but they found a way to make money doing doing that. But overall, it, it just it's a fascinating era of clean tech where all of a sudden, you know, I think after years and years of following this sector, covering this sector, like I think we started covering Nor Norway's EV adoption trend when it was like 13% of new vehicles were electric. I remember going to EVS 27 in Barcelona, and this was like the big story. And, you know, now it's, yeah, 90% or something often. So it's, it's and we, we cover that every month for anyone who's, who hasn't been following. It's a lot of fun to cover. But it, just overall, that kind of, it just hit that 
that point finally where it seemed like, oh, the world has woken up. The investment world has woken up to clean tech. And everyone realizes now this is the future and they need to get their money into it. So great timing. It sounds like perfect timing for you. I love the name Giga Arctic too. I, li- I like that. Branding is big and I, I really like that, that name. The sustainability of you know the, the low cost renewable po- power supply is huge. Great for for uh, marketing, but also just, of course, for real life, for the world. And, uh, you know, there's all these hits on batteries. Batteries are dirty. is like the popular, like, pushback. And I think this is just one more thing that helps people to see, oh, these batteries get produced with, you know, hydropower, very cheap hydropower. So I love all those great points. Sorry to, to step in, but just wanted to clarify it because... SPAC might have gone over the heads of people for a moment, and I had a a bunch of built-up responses to your great comments that I figured I'd squeeze in there, but but keep going then on on where you went from there. Yeah, no, and feel free to interrupt, right, because I'm, you know, press play on me, and I can go on forever. I'm... uh... I do love that. I love, I mean, when I don't have anything to do, what, what, you know, what am I supposed to do? Uh, I love it. I'm probably biased, of course, in the battery space. And I, you know, it's something I live, eat, breathe, sleep, you know, 24 seven. So, you know, whenever people want to listen, I I tend to take the opportunity because it is an important field now. So anyway, so that led us to New York, to Wall Street, Uh, as you said, special purpose acquisition company. We were able to raise $700 million uh, all uh, during COVID. So it was all on Teams and Zoom. So I didn't have one investor meeting face-to-face, which is kind of a cool thing because I've had a number of investor meetings uh, during my career and, you know, running around and roadshows in, you know, in New York and London and Munich and Hong Kong and where and never. And all of this was from the comfort of my home office, right? So I was sitting in my shorts and a good, nice tie, you know, and, and a shirt, yeah. right? Most yeah. people. And I know the appeal of face to face and all, and all, but this is such an efficient, sustainable way to, to conduct business and do things. It's too, we're sort of drifting away from a little bit because people want more face to face interactions again. But I'm sure, especially, you know, you're going to go on a trip to see a potential investor. I don't know how many of them turn out to just be, you know, a trip that didn't well, I mean, lead I, to I, anything. I so I'm sure it's very nice to just line up and, and do everything from home. I, That's you know, right. So this was very efficient. Out. Then we, I had the uh, good fortune or, or, or whatever we like to call it on the 8th of July in 2021 to actually be on the balcony on the New York Stock Exchange and press this green button, right? Which I have to tell you, is not something you do every day. It was like a ding, 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 ding moment. Uh, and that was kind of, you know, a very rewarding thing. Now, at the time, we, uh, the biggest investor in the pipe or the sort of transaction that led to us going public on the New York Stock Exchange was Coke Strategic Platforms. And we already started back then uh, discussions with them on when we are successful and we get going on Giga Arctic and we sort of start to get, you know, real development work done and real engineering blueprint and, you know, have a little bit of a basis. We would like to replicate this in the U.S. because we fundamentally believe in regional security of supply. We believe that batteries are going to be part of critical energy infrastructure. And we believe it's going to be a much larger part of critical energy infrastructure than most people realize. It's not only batteries going to electric vehicles, it's also batteries going to store sunlight and wind and, you know, provide balancing services for grids that, you know, are going to need tripling electricity production going through them. And therefore, you're going to see a lot of behind the meter, in front of the meter, you know, solutions where batteries are going to play a, a very important role. And that, again... U.S. we thought already back in 2021 was going to wake up to that equation. 
So we started already to prepare ourselves for that. So we started looking for sites in the US together with Coke more than a year ago. And then we basically looked at 130 plus sites across 25 states. And then we started this, you know, filtering process where you look at 17, 18 different criteria, you rank order them according to different scores, right? On availability of people and competence, you know, infrastructure availability, tax incentives, the utility situation in the region, you know, proximity to customers, proximity to raw materials, and the list goes on and on. And then you sort of rank order them, you start to have conversations with local parties, etc. All of that led us to Coweta County in uh, Georgia, uh, not so far from Atlanta. Now, while we were doing that process, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act was launched, which is the Biden climate bill, uh, as we call it over here. And of course, in the US, you call it Inflation Reduction Act, but it's really meant to do something about the energy transition. That is at least where the bulk of the money in the sort of incentive part of it is kind of allocated, which of course... For I like us. that, calling it the Biden yeah. climate. Who who's calls it that over there? Is it just no, in general? Most people, most people here call, call it that, right? I oh, mean, so, nice. so it's an interesting thing because now politicians in Europe, if you go online or if you talk to them anywhere, and we kind of tend to talk to a lot of politicians in Europe, they are in a little, you know, a little bit annoyed by this, you know, Inflation Reduction Act because it kind of breaches with WTO principles. And then the Americans that we talk to, they tend to say, but hold on. You've been barking up the U.S. tree for like decades. So we've done too little on, you know, mitigating climate. And here we're actually doing something that is a massive incentive, the most impactful, you know, bill to do something about climate change. And now you're going to give us heartache for that, too? Come on. I mean, yeah, no, it was a smart play because, I mean, first of all, you have the case of China. You know, we've talked about this in many episodes. We won't uh, harp on it. But basically, you know, China saw the future and invested heavily in it and subsidized uh, companies and all that. And so they really, you know, had strong movement. And so the U.S. response is sort of, you know, I guess a bit on the edge of what's allowed with world trade, you know, policy. But it's like in response to that. And at the same time, I think, you know, knowing what we just had in in the White House uh, for for four years and knowing, you know, Europe's, you know, point of view. And I'm sure they sort of felt like, well, come on, Europe can't try to stop or slow this because if they do, we're, who knows what happens next? You know, we don't want any, you know, risk of this falling apart. So, and I love to hear that it's called the Biden climate. We don't, I've never heard that over here. It's just, we just refer to it as the Inflation Reduction Act. Of course, a lot of marketing in that to try to make no, it I, I a massive with, appeal. I but... a bunch of politicians, you know, last week, and, and this was, you know, very clearly sort of stated that this is a climate bill and it's kind of meant to accelerate the energy transition and made to accelerate, you know, investment into green stuff. Uh, and, you know, the, the incentive package for batteries is, is phenomenal, right? It is, it is second to none. And that's why, I mean, as I said, we believed early on, and this is something that we've been very clear on in all our dialogues with investors and customers and everything, that we will build battery capacity in more jurisdictions than one. We believe in geographical diversity. We believe in proximity to customers. And we believe in, uh, you know, adding capacity into this exponentially booming marketplace. And we believe that when the U.S. wakes up to this realization of energy transition in a more institutionalized way, it will be more than anyone have imagined. And that's exactly what came. So we were sort of feeling that we were spot on in it. Now, the issue with this, right? from sort of a European vantage point, 
Is that all of a sudden? I'm just curious. Were you involved at all in the writing of the bill, the lobbying, any of that? It was all it was all outside of your circle. Okay. Yeah. So so we we didn't have any direct interaction with 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 anyone. We we did of course speak to a number of industry partners and others, and some of them were involved. So we of course weighed in uh, indirectly through that, and we had some. Uh, you know, informal dialogues where we're sort of saying, listen, as you point out, and I think you're spot on in it, you know, China saw the writing on the wall a couple of decades ago, started copying like madmen, you know, the Japanese technology, built up huge, you know, local supply chains of cathode material, anode material, all the stuff that goes into battery production, large, you know, local entities like CATL and BYD and others that are both sort of building the entire value chain of battery and battery solutions, but also electric vehicles and other things. So you build up a strong domestic, in a way, customer base, which is also very strong, right? So in earnest, I think it's fair to say that China is probably a decade ahead of everyone else when it comes to this thing. And it's been enabled by massive you know, incentives, subsidies, and, and sort of capital allocation into some dedicated sectors. And I think that's what you know the US saw and that's what the inflation reduction act is a response to it's not meant as an attack to europe it's a response to what china have done and this is how you know europe needs to look at it and they need to look at this as the absolute best opportunity to really once and for all accelerate the deployment of clean technologies to sort of mitigate climate change on steroids over the coming decade or so so we're very happy with it legal steroids yeah Yes, but and and as you mentioned with the the incentives for so you have incentives you have sub tax credits for mining of the battery materials, processing of the battery materials, creating battery cells, and creating battery packs. So you have four different stages of battery of the battery production process where you can get significant tax credits. So whether you tap into one of those or, or all four, there's a lot of opportunity. But the more you can tap into, of course, the more you know the more there's opportunity there. And I I, I I know that I'm not sure how much shocked Europe. I think it was probably a shock how much was in there, how much came came through that it was actually passed at all. So I'm sure it surprised a lot of people and they had to quickly sort of read it, figure it out and try, try to respond. Yeah. And one of my biggest questions has been, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's really a I mean, I, I think it's beyond the hopes most of us had here in the US because of how challenging our political situation is. But it's a lot. And I've just kept wondering, like, you know, Europe has has made sev- some movement in that kind of direction for several years before the US really made any movement. But it's not nearly as significant or strong. Of course, Europe has to deal with a lot of countries together, not, and it's probably trying to follow, follow the rules a little bit better than the US or China, because it's just more of a rule follower. <laughs> so I don't, but I've been curious, how, how do you think Europe is going to respond? to this to this movement well so i think i think europe is going to respond i think it's going to be a forceful response we have every reason to believe that you know this has really you know created a lot of impetus and momentum with the european politicians there are at least a lot of statements in this regard not only from the eu politicians but also from uh, the different EU member states, uh, and also in our dialogue with the Norwegian politicians, it's clear that something quite impactful is going to come. And again, if you look at the situation Europe finds itself in right now, it's one a bit of an energy crisis, right? And of course, one of a security crisis as well, with Russia 
uh, with all the atrocities that are happening in Ukraine and all the sort of knock-on effects that has on export of natural gas to Europe, which of course is benefiting largely Norway because we're a large gas-producing nation. So we have turned up our valves at maximum speed uh, to ensure that you know we can really pump as much energy into Europe that is in dire streets need of it. But the thing is, and this is what I think really people are starting to realize, there has been fundamental underinvestment into energy systems and particular renewable energy systems relative to the need for too long. And this is now an opportunity to do something about that and to really sort of respond to it. So you both have a political incentive or impediment from the US through the Inflation Reduction Act. You have a national or let's call it regional energy security issue. You have a regional security issue uh, and you need to become more uh, self-reliant on your own production of both renewable energy and storing that renewable energy to put it into more renewable energy type vehicles, et cetera. So I think the writing is on the wall here. It's clear uh, that you know what needs, needs to be done. And I think there will be a forceful response. And absent that, of course, you will be in somewhat of a quagmire when it comes to sort of European uh, localized supply, because no investment decisions of any material kind will be made when you can basically take a flight for seven hours and you can get 300% better return on your investment. That's just the nature of capitalism will tend to sort of force uh, some sort of a solution to this. And then, you know, if Europe and if Europe responds to the IRA roughly in line with the US in the next decade, you know, Europe and the US will catch up to a large extent with China and sort of have a localized energy infrastructure and localized, you know, energy, let's call it systems established that really will sort of drive this. One more thing I'd like to just mention when you were talking about these four different areas of the incentives under the IRA and the US. So yes, I agree with all of that. And from a battery cell producer's point of view, it's the cell and the module pack part that you know is the most impactful for us. But not to forget uh, the standalone energy storage development incentives, which can be as much as 50% of the investment capex, depending on where you establish these facilities, et cetera. And you don't need to hook them up to a standalone or to a solar development or to a wind development. You can actually establish standalone storage devices now, and you will get these 50% investment tax credits, which of course is going to be a huge incentive for rolling out energy storage systems, uh, which will require huge amounts of batteries, which again is a core part of decarbonizing the US grid you know, in a rapid way. So all this is happening in real time and being a battery producer on both sides of the Atlantic, so to speak in this regard, with a very clear mission of being the cleanest, the fastest, and one of the largest battery producers, all of it in one speed, scale, sustainability is kind of our mantra. And that's what everything we do is kind of linked to that. And that's a good situation to be in right now, even though I have to say, building a battery company and producing batteries is not a trivial thing by any stretch of imagination, but we have some tailwinds. And even if we had you know, some headwinds, you know, wind is good for renewable energy. So it's okay in any way. So yeah, superlatives are great. You know, it's great to to have the, the those superlatives as a, you know, marketing and just as a goal. I think that helps a lot. And, you know, if I was in going, you know, 
thinking of entering this this sector, I'd you know be drooling a bit because there's so much potential here. But all, at the same time, you have to have a very strong team, a strong plan, and it sounds like you have that, which is which is great, and definitely looks like you're on a good path to 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 have some strong growth. I want to ask a few questions here about your news. So I'm just curious a bit more about the 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 Georgia factory that you're planning, what that entails as far as investment, jobs, what you expect for, to do there, and then also you know that's what's announced. Can you say anything about what? you might be thinking about that's not announced, you know, not, not being specific, of course, because I know yeah. you can't. Oh, of course, being a listed company, I, I can't really say much about stuff that hasn't been announced. They will, it will be properly announced, right? But what I can say, generally speaking, is that there is a lot in the hopper uh, and looked, a lot of quite interesting and, and exciting developments happening with us and, 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 and around us uh, and we're pursuing. But when it comes to Giga America, and I don't know if all of our Giga factories, because we intend to build more than Giga Arctic and Giga America, if all of them will start with an A, but uh, but at least, you know, they're kind of, it's simple. So what it will be, and it initially it will probably be a two-phase development, where the first phase will pretty much resemble what we have planned in Giga Arctic, which is an eight production line setup of the 24M technology, which is a US-based technology. So it's made in America. So we're going to take a made in America technology and make battery cells in America, you know, incentivized by the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, that was so a second question was about the, that technology. So you can yeah, talk yeah. about that now or, or afterwards. Yeah, no, I'll talk about that in a second. So so we're going to build in phase, phase one, probably eight production lines of this technology. We're looking into whether we can both accelerate and or augment it as a response to the IRA. So... Uh, right now, we're sort of thinking very hard about how fast can we develop production lines of this technology in the U.S. And this is, of course, in large part based on us starting up the first gigawatt hour scale production line of this technology in our first facility, which comes online later this spring. And this is what we've communicated to the market before. We said that the customer qualification plant, as we call it, will come online in Q1 this year, and we maintain that ambition. We are on track to sort of start up uh, producing batteries there. And then we will leverage that and the blueprints and learnings and all the sort of engineering we've done to date on Giga Arctic to see if we can accelerate in the US. What does this mean, right? It means eight production lines, first phase investments, which we have said in the order of $1.7 plus billion. But in total, we have stated when we entered into the discussions with our friends in Georgia, that we're going to invest up to $2.8 billion and generate, you know, some 700-ish uh, jobs in the region. And we have more acreage to do a lot more, uh, both upstream and downstream from battery cell manufacturing. So we could probably, you know, tenfold that if we wanted to, and if there was a market for it. But probably you would see us also going upstream into cathode manufacturing which we are planning to do right now in Finland uh, to sort of service our Nordic footprint, uh, but also potentially go nice, downstream. Nice of you to spread a little bit into your neighbor countries, you know, be a, yeah, a good, yeah, good neighbor. Yeah, but of course, some good reasons why we're in Finland, because they actually do have lithium and cobalt and nickel uh, and a number of raw materials, right? So, uh, and they well, also I was going to also ask about that, yeah, if you were yeah. going to go upstream or downstream. So is cathode sort of the limit? That's how far you would, you wouldn't, I imagine get into the mining space. space. No, we probably. I mean that that's gonna that's gonna be a little bit uh, 
a, a more stretch of imagination for us. But, you know, a lot of the people behind Dreyer are upstream-based people. So we come from the upstream oil and gas or aluminium industry. Uh, we understand fundamentally, you know, how to take a raw material uh, source in its pristine or original form and turn it into a viable product. And we do understand the economics of those value chains and where you need to be to do it. We have this partnership-based approach. So we like to look upon ourselves as an industrialization partner of choice. We actually do understand how to industrialize and how to build large projects and how to operate them. But we don't pretend to be experts on everything. Rather, we're not really experts on anything, but we kind of know a lot about most things. And we rather partner with the top experts along the different parts of the value chain and be very good at managing that orchestra, if you like, of, of stakeholders. So back to the U.S., 2.8 I was just I was yeah. just at a, an orchestra concert yesterday with my kids. <laughs> so it's there a great metaphor. I'm, I'm funny that you throw it in there, but it yeah. is a great skill to have to bring together. I mean, it's a very hard. In, if you're an expert on one thing, you're very quite focused on that all day long. So it's great to be able to bring those people together. And I'm going to let, so let you get onto the technology side as well. But you also started touching on my third specific question, which was about partners. Because it seems like you have a solid group of partners. Yeah. And I'm just curious how that came about and, and where are you going with that? So those are my final specific questions. You're great at just going through the story. So I'll let you do that. And then we can get to the end. Okay, perfect. So technology. So we, as I mentioned earlier, we had sort of an 18 month technology selection process or it took 18 months for us to really make our first choice. And we investigated um, quite heavily the entire battery landscape globally. Uh, and we had multiple meetings and discussions with you know, a number of household names and tier one and tier two producers, number of startups in Europe and the US and most Asian company, companies that are relevant, right, in the battery space today. And as I said, we were looking for three things. We were looking for something that was commercially introduced but also something that offers step change in performance and cost and something that can improve dramatically over time. And when you apply those three filters to the global battery landscape, in our opinion, there aren't that many left standing. And what really sort of stood out in the crowd for us was 24M Technologies out of Boston. It's an MIT spin-off started in 2009 by, you know, renowned material science professor at MIT, Mr. Yetming Chang, or Dr. Yetming Chang, I should say, who really sort of in simplicity redesigned the battery for the purpose of what it's now being used for. So lithium-ion batteries were introduced for camcorders and handheld devices and mobile phones and laptops, et cetera. And then we just built a shitload of them, pardon my French, and that sort of you know brought costs down, et cetera. But then you started to use the same batteries, not produced for cars, into electric vehicles because Elon Musk figured it's competitive to do it. And then even we started to put the same batteries into large containers for energy storage. And the batteries were pretty much the same. Small cylindrical you know, batteries, 7,000 plus uh, of them in the bottom of a vehicle. And then it clearly doesn't make sense from an, you know, a physics point of view. You could, try, you could probably try an electrochemical point of view. So what really this means, produce larger, thicker batteries, and not only do that, but see if you can do something about the production process, which is a very long, literally physically very large, facilities, gigafactories, right? That's kind of where it comes from. It's gigantic and very long. And you use a lot of energy to extract solvents and you know uh, binders, et cetera, that you need to attach this active material 
the mass, the cathode and the anode powder, to the current collectors, the aluminum and copper foil. And then you need to extract that liquid because batteries don't like liquid. And then, of course, you fill them in or you, you, you create them into its final form. And then you fill on liquid electrolyte at the end and then you seal it so that, you know, the lithium ions can move back and forth between the cathode and the anode. So what they basically did was rechange all of that, which means that there is a 80% lower footprint, a dramatically lower capital expenditure, significantly lower energy consumption, 60% less energy per gigawatt hour capacity. And you can produce three times as many batteries per employee. And you probably need a you know, slightly higher average competence uh, to actually do it because it's more software, more automation, more sort of digitized in way production systems. Now, it is not yet that gigawatt hour scale, but it's a triple digit megawatt hour scale in Japan by some of the most conservative companies in, in Japan. We are the first company to take it to gigawatt hour scale. And we're really excited about it. It's a lot of issues, you know, to do, but all the machinery will be installed in our first gigawatt hour scale facility. It's actually being finally commissioned as we speak. So, you know, we're coming to a theater near you with quite interesting news in the not so distant future. Then on partnerships and supply chain to sort of just move into that, from my vantage point or from our vantage point, to be successful in the battery space, you really need to understand the interplay between materials, machinery, equipment, and operations, and how this all sort of plays together. And you need to continuously have a focus on how can you increase the speed of production? How can you improve the material composition? How can you make it even safer? How can you make it even cheaper? How can you make it even lighter? How can you increase the energy density? And how can you continuously sort of improve that production setup? Because typically a gigafactory today, a conventional one, will spend years to ramp up production to steady state yield and uptime. And that is a lot of waste in that process. And that is very expensive for any company, but in particular for startup companies, because it's extremely capital intensive to build it. And it's extremely expensive to run it and operate it. And therefore, you need to sort of find a way to do that quickly with a simpler production process with fewer steps and much larger batteries that are easier in many ways to manage through the production system with some of the leading companies in the world being licensees of this technology. And I can mention Kyocera in Japan, Kyoto Ceramics. I can mention Fujifilm in Japan, one of the leading high-speed manufacturing companies in the world. I can mention Volkswagen, one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, auto OEM on the planet. And then, of course, Freyer, you know, the leading clean Nordic battery solutions provider, plus a number of other companies, right, in Thailand, in India, and one in China. So all of them are very strong companies that we have very good relationships with, together with 24M. And we are working together with them to sort of see what is the fastest route to scale this semi-solid platform. And then beyond that, we also have partnerships with a bunch of other companies that we've announced, both on the customer side with Nidec Corporation in particular, the Japanese heavy hitter in electric uh, everything. They are the largest producer of electric motors on the planet. So anything you have around you, an elevator, an iPhone, a, a computer, or your microphone, they have small engines in them or small electric motors in them. And the odds are that it's produced by Nidec. In addition to that, Nidec Corporation is also one of the largest energy storage systems providers. So they have 130 projects developed around the world. 
So we're really, really happy to have a very strong relationship with them. We entered into a long-term offtake agreement with them for 38 gigawatt hours of capacity from GigArctic, plus a joint venture to produce world-leading module pack and DC block kind of configurations for energy storage. And we're sort of quite happy with that relationship and learning a lot from it. And then we're sort of, you know, taking more and more steps into additional partnerships, again, from this industrialization partner of choice approach. So we're off to a good start. We've been at it for four or five years. Uh, we have some good things going for us. The market seems to be liking what we're doing. The most important thing for us is right now to ensure that we can start up, you know, our first gigawatt hour scale production line, which is on track. So I'm quite bullish about that. We have a lot of incoming interest from our customers, in particular also in light of the Inflation Reduction Act. And there is massive demand for uh, decarbonized battery solutions. And we're going to provide them on both sides of the pond. And finally, optimistic on behalf of Europe to actually respond to the IRA. And my encouragement to anyone in Europe listening is, please get up a little bit earlier in the morning and make sure you answer to that call for action that you know the, the the Biden climate bill really represents. That would be my final comment. Well, I'm definitely sold. This is a very compelling, you know, you've you've told a very compelling story across the board, every aspect of it. So it's definitely great sales pitch. But I mean, it sounds like just a great plan. So I think it's really compelling. Of course, you know, hopefully not too much production hell, you know, to go through on the way. You know, I'm, it's it's never easy to go from uh, to scale up, but uh, it sounds like you have a great great path. And, you know, I'm sure I can see it's getting dark in Norway now. I know it's, you know, it's uh, winter. Hopefully you spend more time in Georgia in the winter. And of course, just get out yeah. before it gets swelteringly hot and go back to Norway. But uh, best of luck to you. I, any final comments, anything we didn't cover? I mean, I think there, there is, you, you do have some initial buyers, big names, so, Coke Industries. I mean, we in have, yeah, yeah. So we have, we've signed up and not all of them are public, but we signed up more than 130 gigawatt hours of capacity between 2025 and 2030, which basically means uh, that we are literally sold out from our first facility. And then if we divide these two between the two facilities that we have announced, we actually have more than 50% of that capacity already, uh, let's call it spoken for. This is not final done and dusted, you know, contracts, not all of it at least. NIDEC is, is you know, legally binding. So, so all of that is now being worked on. We have also announced our first electric mobility offtake agreement, right? Because most people think about us as this energy storage battery dudes, but we actually do a lot more than that. Uh, and we're going to go heavy into e-mobility and EVs and, and so on. So we are going to target all these markets. And we're in a way technology agnostic as well. So we have a couple of quite interesting processes. So stay tuned on that. Uh, that will show momentum beyond the 20 round technology potentially. Because again, this industrialization partner of choice, having sites available, focusing on clean battery solutions and having really, you know, strong project execution and operational excellence centric teams is core. And, and finally, you know, anyone who listens and, and we love Clean Technica and you have a lot of very great content and probably a lot of great readers, we are open for business. We need capable people. We need people who want to sort of be part in accelerating the energy transition. That is really what Ferrari is all about, clean battery solutions to accelerate the energy transition. If you want to make a difference and you want to be part of something that matters, come to us. We are ready for you.
Oh, it's not, I mean, the story just gets better every question I ask. So it's very compelling. I'm, I'm sure if we spend the evening, you would have even more, more, <laughs> get even better. But yeah, definitely talent acquisition, you know, getting a great employee workforce. This is, this is, I think the biggest, the biggest thing for every clean tech company right now, it seems like there's just a lot, there's so much growth and a lot of demand for the, for those passionate employees, high quality people willing to you know able to make fine solutions sounds great i will definitely we will definitely be paying attention to any news coming from fryer looks very very interesting and a lot more here than i realized even going into the interview so that's that always makes for a fun interview so thank you so much tom thank you uh lily in the background there and to all listeners please you know be sure to subscribe to like us on spotify apple wherever you listen to podcasts youtube and thank you again thank you for what you're doing i I have no doubt in my mind we will connect again and hopefully I'll even visit the the Georgia Giga America factory, maybe Giga Arctic at some point uh, as well. So thank you and have a good evening there. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.